Hey, dear ones, did you know that you have a built-in compass guiding you to your soul mission with all the tools you need to fulfill that soul mission? Sound exciting? Then join me for a Soul Blueprint, the only certification program that reveals how to amplify your five spiritual gifts so you can consciously create a life and business of massive soul line success. Enroll now at allisonscammell.com forward slash soul blueprint. And you can find that link in the show notes. Hey ho, dear ones. I am so excited for today's episode. I had the absolute privilege of spending some time with one of my key spiritual teachers at the moment. And we're going to be talking all about human design, which is one of my most favorite topics to unpack as well. And I have to say, it's all over my human design chart where I am designed to be connecting directly to source and getting information directly from source. Like that is a reason why I'm here. I get that information. I process it. I hand it on to you in a way that you can easily integrate it into your experience to receive results. So as part of that, because I'm designed the way I am, I do find it sometimes challenging to find other spiritual teachers in human form that I really align to or connect with or really feel like I'm integrating their insights. And I really feel like I have found that spiritual teacher with Karen Curry Parker, and she is the creator of Quantum Human Design. So I was so excited to have her on the show. We had an absolutely spectacular conversation. I am a student of hers at the moment. I'm halfway through quantum human design level three. And so we just have an absolutely fantastic conversation and you will learn so much from Karen. So I think we should go ahead and get right to it. In today's episode, Karen tells us how she came to launch quantum human design. We explore how you can use quantum human design to discover and tap into your true potential and what energetic trends Karen sees in store for the collective in 2023. We end on an invitation that will have you aligning to the new energy of 2023 in a simple but powerful way. So please stay with us until the end. Welcome to Soul Guide Radio, a podcast for soul-guided leaders, influencers, and entrepreneurs here to bring about change on a massive level. We'll explore how you can activate your big soul mission, amplify your spiritual gifts, and clear the energy blocks weighing you down so you can gain unstoppable momentum in life and business. I'm Allison Scammell, your host and soul guide. Well, hey there, Soul Guide Circle. That is the name of this community of soul-guided leaders, influencers, and entrepreneurs. In the Soul Guide Circle, we have big soul missions, and we yearn to earn more, serve more, and grow spiritually along the way. If you aren't already a member, then I invite you to join our Facebook group of over 2,100 leaders and lightworkers who are in service to each other and the planet. Find a link to join on my website, alisonscammell.com or in the show notes. Today's guest is 
Karen Curry Parker. Karen Curry Parker is a transformational teacher, speaker, and coach. She is a multiple best-selling author, EFT practitioner, life coach, original student of Ra Urahu, and one of the world's leading human design teachers since 1999. She is also a Quantum University PhD student, guest lecturer, and TEDx presenter. I learn so much from Karen, whether I'm listening to one of her trainings online or in the in her presence in this interview. So may you receive as much from her wisdom as I do. Please enjoy. Karen, welcome to Soul Guide Radio. I'm so excited to be here. I think we're going to have a good conversation today. Oh my gosh. I am so excited for this. I have been going through your quantum human design certification. It just, I have been loving it so, so, so much. And I do want to start with a, a share, a share from my experience. I'm very excited to share this with you. So I am a splenic projector. I don't know. And I grew up on a cattle ranch. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know where I'm going with this. And when you, in quantum human design level one, you do this amazing thing at the end. Karen, this is so like, it is amazing. I wasn't expecting it. How to parent your kids of different types. Mm. And I thought, oh my God, I've got, I've got two, I've got two generators and a projector. And I was like, oh, this is going to be great. And then you said, Warning, you might get triggered from your own childhood, which I thought, oh, I've been at this for so long. I won't get triggered. You know, like, hey, you know, I I didn't even think that that would apply to me. And then you said you shared the story of a client you had who had to go out and mow the back 40 and she was a projector. And I literally, as a kid, had to mow the back 40. And it just like, Karen, it just like, I can't even tell you when you said mow the back 40, I just like, like in such a good way, it was, it was like the shock to the system at the time, but then it really led to this liberation. And so I had to just start with that story. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad you got something out of it. And certainly I would say, when we go back to what Ra used to teach about human design, he would always say that the voice told him this is for the children and that the adults have to learn it first, but it's for the children. And, you know, I, as a mother myself, I, I have five biological children. I have three stepdaughters. We have almost every type in our group. <laughs> we don't have a manifester, but we have manifesting generators and generators and projectors and a reflector. And especially with, you know, my own children, because I was lucky enough to be able to obviously raise them from birth. If I had not known what I know, especially with one of them, if I had not known what I know about human design, I'm not sure he would even still be here. I mean, he, one of my sons had the 1222, has the 1222 and this deep emotional definition. And he's a very passionate very frustrated manifesting generator a lot of the time and just knowing like okay he's got this is what's going on it's not personal i'm not feeling his mother and i just gotta keep him alive till he's 30 and we'll be okay but i'm gonna stop over the 12 22 i think that i have three kids one i birthed 
two I didn't. And with my son, I think he has the same. And when you were, and that, that's when they're like, they're, they, they have a real feel of failure. And if they feel like they're failing, they, they like go into a turtle shell. I, well, that, that's one potential configuration for that. There's a couple of different places where that shows up for sure. I certainly would say part of the challenge with that is the ability to articulate what you're feeling. Yeah. And, it. and I think for my son and maybe your son has the same thing. This, you know, not being able to speak on command, literally, like you can't go to him and say, all right, if you're a teacher and you're in school and you say to a kid like this, I want you to write me an essay about what you did this summer. You know, it's not so easy for someone with that as part of their design. And one of the things that happened with him was he got labeled as having being on the spectrum because he was not responsive and struggled oftentimes with articulating. And I knew, I knew because I knew this kid pretty well that he was not on the spectrum, but I knew that he had to wait until it all congealed within him before he could really express and articulate without bashing something in feeling right yeah learning to you know learning how to say to him hey i know you're not ready to talk about this yet i know you're percolating on this when it it clicks and you have the ability to find the words to share this with me here's what i need to know right and giving him that space of learning how to go oh i can't speak on command i need to integrate and and really process what i'm feeling when i'm thinking what i want to say and starting to, and really giving him permission to say, that's not unhealthy. That's not dysfunctional. I'm not broken. I, it's just how I am. I need time, period, the end. And, you know, reminding him of that. Of course, parenting is a long-term journey and basically it involves saying the same thing 480 million times. And, you know, and saying that, reminding him of that over and over again. He is now 28. And he made it to 28. So he's just hitting his Saturn returns. So I'm like, and he's getting it. It's like, it is literally finally clicking, but it took a long time because our society is so organized around now, 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 and the pressure to be, you know, to perform right now. And the school system is set up that way. And it just, it never worked for him. It never worked for him. Yeah. That's so fascinating. I think that human design and children, it's just, it's so invaluable. My, my six-year-old is, she's just a mold breaker. I think that's one of her, she's a generator and she wants to break molds. And we live in the Netherlands, which culturally is a very conformist country. Mm-hmm. And people like mold. I mean, they like molds. It gives them a sense of safety and security and it's how the society is organized. So we've, we decided to send her to a Dutch school and she's in there not, not, a disciplinary problem. She's not, you know, you can't just categorize what she's doing to disrupt the system, but she's disrupting this system and they don't, you know, the well-intentioned educators kind of don't know what to do with her. And so many times human design, because I thought, oh my God, I'm failing as a mom. And, you know, all the the thoughts that you have, like there's something wrong with my kid. And human design has just saved me and her just, I think that's part of why she's here. She's here to like shake up systems. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And I love that you know that because that'll help her. Yeah. Because I think especially those kids who are by definition, you know, mold breakers and that's anyone that has, you know, individual circuitry in your chart, you know, 
those mold breaker kids need to have a place where they can come home to and say, hey, you're here to be different. It's okay. I know you don't feel like you fit in. I know you feel like everybody's out against you and, and you're trying to find your place and you feel like nobody sees you. It's okay. You're here to be different. So you're going to have that experience and that's going to be part of your normal experience. And it's okay. It's not about, it's about you fulfilling your role in the world. That's beautiful. I love that you, correct me if this is wrong, but you were a state department kid. Yes. Yeah. Okay. That's so cool. I worked in the state department world for 10 years. I mean, kind of in the international world for 17 years. And it was a terrible place for a projector to work because it was long hours and kind of pressure cooker environments. And I I just wanted to say, because some of the people, some of the listeners here are going to be on the newer side to human design. And I just was thinking as I, I should define the, why mowing the back 40 was so hard for me. I have an open sacral as a projector and I can't sustain long hours of work, like farm work, like I had to do for my entire childhood. So I wanted to explain that a little bit for people who aren't familiar with human design. What I meant by Karen, she, she, she connected to me so deeply when she said, mow the back 40. <laughs> Definitely. I, not just State Department work, but any place where you're expected to hustle, you know, I think is, it, there's a whole long conversation we have. We could talk for hours just on the idea of hustle, because obviously I don't think it's good for anyone, but it's definitely not good for projectors. You know, you're not designed to to push past your limits. And in fact, you when we push past our limits and we hit the outer outer edges and the limits we can do, we actually lose productivity and effectiveness and sustainability. Yeah. And like I said, that that's a whole other conversation doing the world work. <laughs> it is. It is a whole other conversation. And it just like for me as a projector, when I stumbled upon human design, you know, I ran the charts of my whole family, extended family, and I'm the only projector. The only other projector is my stepson, who we are not of blood relation. So of the the people who I'm kind of related to through DNA, I am the only projector. So like what I can just say about human design, and I know so many people have said this, it's just like, oh, this is why I'm so different. Or it's just like, it's like, oh, it's like this relief you get when you realize that, you know, if you did ever feel different or you felt like you were the weird kid or the odd one out, your human design chart will give you a very good reason as to why that was that way, right? Totally, totally. I mean, I... I will say hands down for the universal experience people have when they first learn their chart is oh, I get it. Now I understand why I didn't fit or now I can see that it's okay for me to be this way that I am naturally that I've been resisting my whole life. I can be myself. So, yes. So beautiful. I would love to talk, Karen, about quantum human design. and. <laughs> I think it's so brilliant. And I love, I, you know, big heart. I love traditional human design. I just, I love the whole study of it. And I'm just, and I love it so much because of the results it's given my life and my clients. And so just the results talk to me. They speak to me, right? And I'll say when, when I was thinking about deepening my study, I was just like, I was like, I knew I needed to find the right teacher. And I was looking for it, something, some look at human design that I feel like opens it up and 
talks about how it is connected to the spiritual realm and 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 it is like taking human design forward and like how can we really leverage human design to go to the next level of our potential and i feel like that is what quantum human design has done for me so i'd love to hear in your words like how like how did how did it get birthed (laughs) all right you know what what what's what what it's a long process it was a very long pregnancy like way longer than a human pregnancy (laughs) (laughs) well you know my story with human design actually starts in 1999 when i first i'll say human design encountered me through a whole series of just weird coincidences and you know i ended up you know coincidentally not maybe in working for human design america in sedona arizona where i got to study with raw and work with raw and it was a really powerful experience a very powerful way to be initiated into human design for any of you who had the privilege of learning with raw i mean you're in europe there's a lot more people in europe i think than in the u.s who had the privilege of learning with raw you know it was Definitely a transmission. I think there's no other word for it. And, you know, you would sit with Ra and you would spend the whole day in a workshop with him and you wouldn't take a single note. And, and I'm a note taker. I'm a, I'm, I'm a very, you know, I need to take that movement of taking notes helps me integrate information. And I would never take a note. No one would take a note. And he would start and you weren't, you weren't allowed to interrupt him, but he would go all day long and it was a transmission. So there was something pretty powerful about learning from Ra directly. You know, as I work with Ra, my background, before I started learning about human design, my background is in nursing. And I was also one of the very first life coaches trained in the room. I actually studied with Thomas Leonard before he passed, who's oftentimes considered to be the father of life coaching. Back in the day, before literally, we didn't call it life coaching. We didn't have a title. It was just people driving around or in their RVs with satellite phones. Like that, right? And so I always entered into everything that I did with the idea of how can I use this to help people? How can I use this therapeutically? Working with Raw for a few years, I started to really see that, you know, human design has a really important role. I mean, Raw used to always talk about how the way that he was taught to teach human design by the voice, the transmission that he received was a way of speaking to people who were conditioned or who people who were living what he would call the not self. And so human design in its transit traditional form is a way of speaking to people to help wake them up. It is designed to help you discover who you're not and how you have perhaps been living as your not self. Right. And yeah, a few years into my journey with human design, I started to see, well, you know, this is cool. This is really great. It's good to show people, hey, this is who you're not. But then my clients started to change and they started to come in with a different set of questions. And certainly I was also playing with some of those questions. I don't think it's a coincidence that this all started happening around the time when the movie The Secret came out. People really started to say, hey, this is not a new thought, but they, it started to become much more of the collective conversation in spiritual circles, certainly, about, hey, I can create what I want, right? I can choose what I want. Traditional human design is very much embedded in this idea of no choice. In fact, if you look at any of some of the older videos of Ra, you'll see he wears a hat that says no choice, or he wears a shirt that says no choice. I mean, he was very much about you surrender to your design, and basically, you don't have any control of your life. You just uh-huh, uh-uh, your way through reality, if you're a generator type. <laughs> and that just never sat right with me. 
my sample never responded to that as a manifesting generator. I always really like struggled with that a lot. And at a certain point, I finally said, I've got enough clients coming in saying, no, that I don't resonate with this. And I myself was really struggling with, I can't do this no choice thing anymore. And so I left traditional human design and started teaching and started my own practice. And part of what I started to do at that point was to really start giving the vocabulary of human design different words and started playing with different words. So if you've seen my red book, the uh, understanding human design, you'll know that <laughs> already in that book, which came out in 2011 or 2018, sorry, right after uh, Raw Pass, Raw passed in 2011. Already in that book, I started exploring and experimenting with softening some of the language and really making it more accessible and making it more actionable. And really, when I put that material together, I put it together in a format that gave people a little bit more of a conscious engagement with the material. It really came to me after Raw passed in 2011 that the work of human design wasn't complete. Raw used to always say, hey, you know, this is the language for the not self. Someday I'm going to share with you what he would call the awakened Ravi Ching, the language that we use for people who are already deconditioned, who are living true to themselves. But he passed before he could write that. And, and I sat with a lot, you know, for a couple of years after he passed thinking, I want to do this. And I felt I didn't want to do it in a way that was dishonoring. I really didn't want to do it in a way that was like traditional human design. Who needs that? Because that's not true. We need, we really need both traditional human design and quantum human design. So I sat for a lot of years with this thesaurus. <laughs> yeah. And I went through and I cataloged every word in human design, everything that we called the types and the, the names of the gates. And I, I explored and experimented with different words that I liked and felt right and seemed to better encompass the meaning of the archetype. And then I literally took them in the lab and we measured the frequencies of the language. So we consciously chose high frequency words, meaning words that when you say them have a higher resonance field when you measure their, their frequency when spoken. And I slowly sort of put it, started putting all this together, starting with a, a different name for all the types. And I call it quantum human design. It is a vocabulary for human design for people who are deconditioned or in the process of deconditioning. It's also a way of looking at human design that's a little bit, I'll call it mystical or spiritual. I mean, it definitely incorporates the idea that each and every one of us is here to facilitate the evolution of humanity. And that in doing so, we have obviously our human jobs of moving the mud around on the planet. But we also, because we're not just human beings, we're spiritual beings, we're beings and our manifestations from the quantum field, if you will, we also have different jobs that we do on more metaphysical, esoteric levels. And I wanted to give people a way to think about their spiritual job and their quantum job, if you will, so that they could really embrace from a bigger perspective the full story, the whole story of who they are in this life. Mm, that's such a beautiful story. I One of the things that I love that you say, I hear you say a lot because it's worth repeating a lot, is we all have all of the chart. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a point that, at least of my c consumption of traditional human design, 
got lost in that, you know, I have clients that come to me and they're like, oh, Allison, I want to chant. I want to be a channel, but I have a defined throat chakra, a (laughs) divine throat center. So I can't. And I will use your words and I will say, well, we all have all parts of the chart. So like anything's possible, right? Yeah. Well, and I think that that is that's a limitation that actually doesn't come from raw. You know, raw never would have said, oh, you don't have this. You know, Ra always talked about openness as being a source of wisdom. And it comes from the experience of openness that, that you learn about this and it helps you actually learn about others. And, you know, definitely the way that he taught human design, at least in the time that I studied with him, was that your design was a very dynamic way of your, the way that it really showed you the way you interface world. It wasn't like you're a this label. Right. Label. And I see it now, I think in some cases, kind of being used as a labeling tool. And I have a, you know, that's part of another reason why I really was like, we have to really be careful with how we write the language, you know, write about human design, teach about human design and make sure the language is dynamic because we're not labels. It's an anti-labeling system of anything. And to use it as a labeling system and also use it as a system to rationalize why you can't do something, you know, especially if you have a strong desire for it, isn't, it's not how it's designed. It's not how we are designed. In fact, I would lovingly and gently say that if you have a strong desire to do something, and it's, it's a deconditioned sort of bone deep, soul deep desire about something, that's probably your destiny whispering. And I'm sure your chart will show you exactly how to get there and to not shut that off because some, somebody taught you that well, you're a projector, you can't do that. Yeah. Can be six, every type can be wildly successful. And in fact, I would say that every type is designed to be wildly successful because we all are. And knowing how to leverage that, that pathway and take sovereignty over that path is part of what I love to teach it through the lens of human design. Yeah, love that. One of the things I've noticed with my clients, and I wonder if you encounter it, that there's this idea that open centers are a negative part of ourselves and the defined centers are, are the powerful part of ourselves. And I guess when I first started studying human design, I had that thought too. And I have an open throat chakra and I was like, oh, you know, I saw it as some sort of negative. But then when I got to, when I started to wait, this was just like, this is probably going to sound very simple to you, Karen, but when I started to wait, and ask, like, wait for people to ask me what I thought. It was like, it was so night and day. Like, I saw such an immediate difference to finally being actually heard. And not not only heard, people leaning in because they right. wanted to know what I, you know. It was such, and all of a sudden, I love my open throat <laughs> center. I just love it. So is it is this something you've encountered? And, and how do, what do you say to people if they they have this idea? Well, I think it goes back to what I would say is a very limited definition of conditioning. And actually, and again, I'm not making this against traditional human design. We have to remember that Ra passed in 2011. In the last, what, we're going to be 2023 next year, the last, I'll do math, 12 years. (laughs) You know, we've had just in the field of neuroscience and genetics, we've had all this new research that's come out about neuroplasticity, all this research about trauma and the impact of trauma on the immune system and the impact of trauma on 
low-grade PTSD and anxiety and depression. We've had all this research come up about epigenes, the protein coats that regulate DNA expression that Ra didn't know because we didn't have that science then. And so the idea that conditioning only comes from your open centers and therefore your openness of your enemy, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. And it's actually, as I said, it's actually really in contrast to what Ra taught. Ra taught your openness is your wisdom. It's not the enemy. The enemy is when you let other people's energy hijack your openness and then you identify with it and then you use it as an excuse because you can't do X, Y, and Z because of your openness. Your open throat is the source of your wisdom. When people ask you, which is a way of you holding your own value, that's not about, I can't say anything until somebody says something. It's about you saying, well, hold up. I love myself and I value myself enough to not waste my words on people who aren't going to value them. That's you recognizing yourself, basically, first. So you hold your own recognition and you stand in that and then people come to you and they ask, and with that open throat, you're now able to make whatever you say best meet the needs of the person you're communicating with. That's the wisdom of the open throat. And every one of those open senders has a gift and the knowledge and an ability to be used in service to others. Your open centers are about what you're here to learn and give in relationship. Your definition is really more your soul curriculum and kind of what you have to struggle with yourself. From within, right? And let's be really clear. You can have definition that can be hurt and conditioned a lot. Let's say, for example, if you have the, you know, the 4323, my daughter has, my youngest daughter has the sun and earth in the 4323, right? So she has this big bulk of her chart that's all about this individual definition to the throat, this brilliant way of reframing and rethinking things. That, that sometimes causes very interesting things to plop out of her mouth as a projector, right? And in the wrong environment, that 4323 is a prockle, right? It's, it's a know-it-all, right? It's a, it's somebody who is going to share really weird ideas. And if they don't understand how to implement those ideas effectively and in alignment with their design, they're going to be pushing too far, too fast in the wrong direction doing really strange things that are counterproductive and they're going to internalize the message from the world potentially i'm weird i don't belong i don't fit in nobody gets me right and so that is also conditioning that's you internalizing the message that hey it's not okay for me to be who i am and how i am so i gotta go underground with that that if we only define conditioning through open centers we're missing imprinting, which is what happens in our family of origin, right? We hang out with our families. No matter what their design, we're imprinted by their beliefs. We're imprinted by what happens to them. We're imprinted by how they behave. It blocks intergenerational family patterns as part of our conditioning. Because especially if we look at human design, we know we inherit our charts from our grandparents. So we have this, you know, you're living out this dynamic in your family that your parents learn from, from their own parents. So they're sort of already prescripted that they're going to be working out some of their stuff from their family of origin through your relationship with them as a kid, right? It rules out the whole design crystal element that says, Hey, our bodies carry memory. And that memory is conditioned by the consciousness of the earth at the moment of our conception. And because our genetics are in the design crystal, 
It's also carrying ancestral lineage and ancestral memory. And that's part of our conditioning. We know from science that's part of our conditioning. There's so much more that goes into conditioning than just, oh, I have an open throat. There's, it's too complicated. It's really too complicated, honestly, to even explain it sometimes by human design, which is, yeah. the, I simply say, you know, I love human design. I've dedicated 23 years of my life to it and it doesn't explain everything. Sometimes the questions we have are not human design questions. They're human questions. And we have to look to other places in an integrated way with human design and not let ourselves embrace it as this dogma that explains everything in the world. It doesn't. Yeah. Beautiful. I love how you describe that. One of the big, like, made my life so much better because of human design and quantum human design was me understanding that there is, is the waiting. And I have a particular chart where I have so much waiting on on every level it's waiting. And I'm a, you know, I, I, I was not, I think I was conditioned like a lot of people not to be a waiter and to go get it. Like, you know, just go out there and grab it. And when I'd made peace with the divine timing of things, I would love to just spend, and I know we could spend hours on waiting and divine timing, but I just love, I love how you've, I've heard you describe this in the past. Like, and, and every, every type has some waiting. So even the manifestors, right? They got to wait a little bit here and there. Actually, manifestors sometimes have to wait a lot. Yes, yes. So can we just talk a little bit about like, there is a divine timing and it's not all meant to happen now. And this idea that we were often taught as kids, and I think a lot of people wanted to, you know, inspire us. And it was like early days of personal growth, right? Like I grew up in the 80s. So I was like, yeah, like you can do it. You can be anything. And how it kind of gave us this idea that if we want it to happen, it should happen now. And that's just not how we're designed. There is a divine timing of things. I'd, I'd love to hear your perspective on that. So, you know, my perspective on that is, might be an, a non-human design answer. You know, I think that we are under pressure around time and timing because we live in a consciousness of lack, which I personally think comes from a low sense of self-worth. If we think we are not enough in any way, that translates to the experience of not enoughness in every area of our life, whether it's in our relationships, in our work, in our money, in our life, right? And that not enoughness and this mistaken idea that our value is derived from oftentimes these really weird materialistic metrics. I'm valuable because I have X number of money in the bank or I'm valuable because I have X number of years of degree, you know, years of education or I'm valuable because of my, my waist size and my pants size and my bra size. I mean, we measure everything with numbers and we give it value, which is great. You know, if you're going to look at your business and analyze your business and decide, hey, where should I put my marketing dollars, right? You want to know what's creating profit, what's not. But in terms of human value, you know, we're, we are valuable because we exist, not because of anything we accomplish or anything we do, but we are trained. And you know this very well as a protector. We're trained to be valued by what we do. And if what we do doesn't measure up, right, then we fall into this idea of not enoughness, and that becomes this pressure to prove our value. And that pressure to prove our value is deeply rooted in the idea of survival of the fittest, which is oftentimes translated to survival of the fastest. And then we got to be under pressure all the time to make it happen, make it happen, make it happen. And the reality of it is, is 
if we understand and trust that we are enough, that there is enough, there's actually way more than enough, and that by virtue of the value of our existence, we can create for ourselves whatever enoughness we need. We live in enoughness. The pressure goes away. The pressure disappears. And you know that you'll know what you need to know when you need to know it. You'll do what you need to do when you need to do it. Have what you need to have when you need to have it. And you live in this very different place of creative self-expression. Yes, it was one of my biggest ahas from my journey with quantum human design so far when I heard you talking about boom and bust cycles. That was another, that was almost as strong as the mowing the back 40 in terms of like it hitting me because I I did always want to be. And so I have this open sacral. And so we are designed for periods of creative bursts of work to be followed by rest cycles. Mm-hmm. And I was not giving myself rest cycles. And I was continually burning out because I wanted to always be earning, always be growing, always be hitting those in monthly income markers. And when you said that, like you, like the boomer bust, I was just, it just, I just felt like immediately it just like a light switch turned on. And I, I understood exactly what you meant and exactly how it applied to me. And it, it gave me a permission that I needed so badly. And you know, from my conditioning, I think I needed this. I thought I needed permission to go into a rest cycle. <laughs> and it just gave me this permission. And now I, I designed my entire business around, you know, boom. And I call it rest cycles instead of bus cycles. They're my, my rest cycles. Right. And I designed my whole business around this, you know, this boom bus cycle. And I just, I want to thank you from my heart for bringing this awareness to me. It was really, life-changing for me. I'm glad. I'm glad. And I think, again, that that whole idea of rest as being something you do after you've completed everything and only then, it's it's messed up. <laughs> That's just how there is to it. Who gets more done when they're exhausted? No one. No one. It doesn't make any sense. You're going to bring your full A game to the table if you're bringing a whole full restock, restored, replenished, you know, bank of energy to the table. And, you know, honestly, it's a chronic issue on our culture. It, you know, when we look at the data, 65% of people in the United States report themselves as being burned out. I actually think that number is not big, high enough based on my own research. And I'll say that, you know, burnout, just burnout costs billions of dollars to businesses every year. Billions, measurable billions. That's crazy. I mean, that, what if you took those billions and said, hey, take some time off yes. this you know, right? Go on vacation. It's I mean, you live in Europe. It's a little bit better in Europe, I think, for sure. But man, America, it's like, if you're, a, especially if you're a, a, an hourly wage worker, too bad, so sad, you don't even get time off. Right? It's crazy. Yeah. And it is better in Europe. Unfortunately, I... Oh, what, you know, not unfortunately, I, sh- I don't mean that, but I had a lot of American conditioning inside of me. But I can say for someone who's lived in Europe for like 12 years that it is way better here in terms of the hustle environment. And it's something that actually we could learn from, you know, and, and you know what? They produce everything here. Things work here. It's productive here and people get a lot more rest and they get paid rest, which I think 
right? We need, we need to be paid to rest. Pay, pay for rest instead of paying for medical bills. It just makes so much more sense. I don't, I'm like, the, the numbers don't measure out to me at all. So I'm a hundred percent with you. Karen, I could talk to you all day, but I know that you have a busy day and I'm, I'm at the end of my day. And I, I think, I believe you're just starting your day and you have other things. Unfortunately, you have other things to go on to. I, I do have one more question and then. I'm going to ask you to leave our listeners with an invitation and then we'll find out how they can learn more about you and and, uh, get some hands on some of your amazing books. I love your books and get into your world. I know my listeners are going to want to do that. Could you give us, be really interested in your perspective on some energetic trends, if I can call it that, or maybe there's a better way to describe that for 2023? So some things that we can maybe expect to happen in the collective, any any perspectives you have on, on what we can I maybe do. expect I to have, unfold. You know, I have a lot on 2023. So I actually, I call 2023 the year of dreams coming true and a sneak peek into the future of humanity and also the reaping the reward, rewards of karmic discipline. So, you know, 2023, what we see is in late February, early March is we see Saturn moving into Pisces which Neptune is also in Pisces. So Saturn actually goes into the gate 55, where it's going to be pretty much for the whole year, which is a really important energy for us in a lot of big way, because as we move into a new global cycle, which starts in human design in 2027, the highlight of that global cycle is that gate 55, the gate of faith. So what we see next year is this marriage between dreams and work. The Saturn bringing us this work energy, Highlighting this, this Neptune energy. I mean, this, sorry, this, this Pisces energy. And we see Neptune in, you know, also very comfortable in this Piscean place. And we have this really lovely combination of faith, faith in the unseen, faith in our dreams, faith in whatever, faith being able to do cleanup on making dreams come true. But, and there's a but, the big but is you have to have been doing your work. The last few years, we've had a job. The planets have been giving us the same job. All of the planets have been giving us the very same job. And the job that we've had, and you still can capitalize on this, the job that we've had for the last three years is tell the story you want to be telling about who you are. Tell the story you deserve to be telling about who you are. Take back control of your story. Stop being a victim. Stop making excuses. Stop rationalizing. Stop settling for less. Tell the story about yourself that you want to be telling. If you're living in that story and you're holding the energy of that story, next year will be a fabulous year for you. If you have not done your homework and cleaned up your story, Saturn is a teacher and expands upon things. Saturn also destroys things that don't serve your highest good. And so if you don't walk into next year with your story intact, Saturn is going to lovingly and gently albeit somewhat violently at times, reveal to you exactly where you need to fix your story to make it better. So it'll be, I think it's gonna be a very fun year, a very beautiful year. We finish off the Scorpio tourist eclipse season that's been very much about disassembling old narratives and getting grounded and going deep. So it's gonna, it's gonna be a very interesting, I think a very good, powerful year. Hmm. I like this. You're speaking my language, Karen, as you <laughs> always do. And I just want to say, Tell the story about yourself that you want to be telling. And I just want to do a little plug that if you, listener, are wanting to go deeper with that for yourself, I just want to put a plug in from my heart 
for quantum human design. And I'm, I'm a psychic medium. You know, my, my listeners know I had a near death experience in 2009 and I went from completely closed off intuitively to like blown open. So I had to kind of, I had to kind of learn about, you know, at 32, I was kind of a Saturnian experience. <laughs> yes. Kind of put all exact, right? And so, and so I had, I had this spiritual kind of, you know, channeling with source, kind of a direct line into source. But then, and I think for a long time, I thought that was enough. Like I thought, oh, all I need is my connection to source and my, my divine guidance team. And that's all I need. But then I found human design or human design found me. And I realized that I, I, I needed more. And, and it's like you said, Karen, you need, you need the whole range of awareness of who you are and what you're meant to do and the to- story you want to tell. So if you're someone who feels like you want an alignment tool to help you go deeper, I, I give it my highest recommendation. And I will also say, because I have such a direct connection to source, I'm really picky about my human guides, <laughs> my spiritual teachers. And it's really hard for me to find someone I align with. And Karen, I just want you to know that I just, I so, I'm such a soul client of yours. I'm so sorry if I'm a gushy fan. Then I will really, I'm, really love I'm learning. Right, of I'm glad. So I just wanted to put that plug in and that we'll, we'll leave a link in the show notes of how you can learn about enrolling into Karen's quantum human design program, because I do give it my highest recommendation. And what a great time to be doing that work before going in to 2023. So that, that I just wanted to say that. And so Karen, can you leave our listeners with an invitation, inviting them anywhere you wish them to go? Absolutely. So I'm actually going to leave you with a homework assignment. Oh, good. Okay. Love that. And, and it's a, it's an act, it's a easy, but oftentimes challenging assignment. And really what I, I invite you to do is go through every area of your life. Look at money, look at relationships, look at creative fulfillment, job, career, look at your body and your health and vitality and look at your relationship with source and ask yourself, what story are you telling yourself about these five core areas of your life? Is it a story you love? Is it a story that excites you? Is it a story that inspires you to get out of bed every day with, you know, enthusiasm and zest? Or is it a story that's limiting you and causing you to contract and place yourself in spaces that aren't big enough for you? If it's not the story you want to be telling, you literally can begin the process of rewriting that story as a creative writing exercise. Go back to writing it the way you want it to be. Literally, you can do it as a story. Once upon a time, there was a woman who had access to an unlimited flow of abundance. You know, start it however you choose and rewrite it. That act of writing it actually taps into the, the field of inf- the quantum field of information that begins the process of rewriting your story. And bringing into your tangible experience a whole different narrative around who you are and what you deserve in your life. That was a great invitation. And I will be doing that invitation too. <laughs> Beautiful. So I know there are going to be listeners that are going to want to connect with you and get deeper into your world. So how can our listeners find you? Our, our easiest way to find us is go to prehumandesignchart.com. Even if you already have your human design chart on that site, you can actually run your chart in the quantum human design language. So it's a good place to start reframing your understanding of your human design. And of course, you want to learn more about it. You can also go to our website, Quantum Alignment System. Beautiful. And those links will be in the show notes. Karen, thank you so much for being on Soul Guide Radio. I just, Ben, you made my day. Aw, 
you. I'm glad you made mine. (laughs) And thank you so much, dear listener, for tuning in. I have a really sweet listener review to read to you from MHS Listener in the United States. They call this podcast a must-listen, thoughtful, encouraging information for all professional lightworkers. And I love that. Yes, this podcast is for professional lightworkers. And if you aren't sure whether you are a lightworker or not, if you're tuning in and connecting to this content in any way, then that definitely means you are a worker of light. And we've been seeing an uptick in downloads on Soul Guide Radio. Just last week, we had almost 900 downloads in one week. And that's really because in large part of people leaving listener reviews, it's how the word gets spread organically about the content we're sharing. And so when people are doing word searches, Soul Guide Radio will appear higher on a word search. So it really enables the people looking for this specific type of information that we're sharing on Soul Guide Radio to receive it. So I would be super grateful if you head over to the show notes, you will find a link to leave a review and let us know how did Soul Guide Radio serve you? How has it served you? And we will read your amazing words on the air. And as always, my dear ones, until next time, may your soul guide the way. Are you ready to fill your business with soul clients in the next 60 days? Then download my free energy upgrade meditation to amp up your energy frequency, dissolve the doubt, and attract the soul clients you are destined to serve. Find the link to download on my website, alisonscammell.com, as well as in the show notes.